everyone. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, Deputy Features Editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So have you guys heard of this thing called Rent? That is pretty much a punchline in musical theater circles at this point because it's impossible to talk about new musicals today, particularly any that have a rock or pop sound, without referencing the show written by Jonathan Larson that debuted on Broadway in 1996 and became one of the longest running and most beloved Broadway shows ever. I feel a little silly even trying to explain Rent and the phenomenon that it was uh, and continues to be for so many new generations of musical theater lovers. So if you're not familiar with it, I would just say get yourself to the interwebs, download the original Broadway cast recording, listen to it all the way through. Your life will totally be changed. It's also hard to talk about Rent and its impact without talking about Jonathan Larson himself, which is always very bittersweet. Larson and his music were really the template for what the modern, young, boundary-breaking Broadway composer looks like now. We would not have a Lin-Manuel Miranda or a Pasek and Paul or a Joe Iconis without him. But he never got to see the extraordinary thing that Rent became because he died suddenly the night before the show's off-Broadway previews began. Though he's most famous for writing Rent, and in fact he won uh, Tony's and the Pulitzer Prize after his death for it, Larson was very prolific otherwise uh, in his short time here. He wrote other shows, most notably one called Tick, Tick, Boom, and also the unproduced musical Superbia in 1984. A group of today's young musical theater stars, along with a few special guests, including some original Rent cast members, are determined for more people to hear Larson's music beyond Rent, which I think is great. So they created something called the Jonathan Larson Project and came to the podcast to talk about it. Uh, here is my chat with George Salazar, who uh, you Be More Chill fans know as Michael from the show, uh, Krista Rodriguez and Andy Mientes, who you might know from the cast of Spring Awakening, among many other shows that they've done, and Daphne Rubin Vega, who really needs little introduction. She came to the podcast recently for uh, the show Miss You Like Hell, and she is, well, an icon to any Rent lover. Cages or wings, which do you prefer? Ask the birds, fear or love, baby, don't say the answer, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, uh, my name is George Salazar, um, I'm 5'10", and <laughs> half Filipino and half Ecuadorian. And wearing a really great shirt. Thanks. It's very old. <laughs> I'm Daphne Rubin-Vega. I'm a Scorpio um, <laughs> with a Taurus rising, I think. Ooh. I don't know. Maybe that's just a myth. Um, and uh, what else? I was the original Mimi and Rent, and that's why I'm here. Oh, my God. I didn't even know. I know. <laughs> Kidding. Um, <clears throat> hi. Uh, I'm Andy Mientis. I'm a double Scorpio. Scorpio sun, Scorpio rising, Pisces moon. Happy birthday. Do you have a birthday coming up? Yes. You must. Yes, Happy me birthday. too, girl. Me Happy too. birthday. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be really mortified to talk about how much I love rent in front of Daphne Rumega. So here we all are. Um, my name is Chris Rodriguez. Uh, I am a Leo. Um, and Andy reads my charts for me and gives me all the good and bad news. Um, so <laughs> that's all how I know about my stuff. Um, and I'm excited to be here. That's all I got. 
Well, I'm a Taurus and I know nothing about astrology. So are, are, will we get along well since yes, you're a Taurus we rising? we all get along. Excellent. We can all be friends. Yes. Well, so first of all, I want to know what is the Jonathan Larson Project in the first place? So uh, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, uh, theater historian, producer, she does everything. Um, she spent a lot of time uh, in the Larson archives uh, over in Washington, D.C., um, combing through um, scribblings and, and demo recordings. And so she's unearthed um, close to 30 songs written by Jonathan Larson that have, uh, for the most part, never been heard. Uh, uh, and we are so excited to be bringing so much of his music uh, to the forefront and at 54 Below um, in a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, and so ten there's, days? yeah, 10 Ish. days, nine, eight days. Yeah. And so there's a, you know, there's, uh, there are um, five uh, uh, <laughs> Yes, there are. <laughs> there are five uh, cast members in the show and then a rotating roster of incredible guest artists such as Daphne Ruben Vega, um, uh, who will be joining us and singing uh, some, some, you know, additional things. So everyone who comes to each show is going to get a different experience. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. So why was there a reason that now felt like the right moment to be doing this and to kind of be introducing the world to these songs of Jonathan's that are lesser known? Hmm. I can say that um, it does feel like a time to have a social uprising in the arts community. And I think that's what Rent did for its generation when it came out. And we haven't really had uh, our sort of moment with art in that way necessarily there's been a lot of things said and but as far as something that rallies up a younger group to pay attention and what I've been struck with the most about working on this music is how relevant it is today how specific things that he was writing about are still specifically a problem now or um things that we are now marching for and maybe things that were marginalized even in 92 that now in this day and age are on the forefront. And I think to be able to acknowledge that that was happening then and is still happening now gives us some sort of power moving forward. And so I'm actually really excited to share this music with a generation that now has so much information in front of them and can maybe use it, uh, use it in the right way. It makes sense to me. So how – I know the answer for you, Daphne, although you can still tell us stories about it. But how was each of you introduced to Jonathan's music in the first place in your musical lives? Well, I'll go first. <laughs> um, I was taken to the first national tour of Rent uh, when I was probably a little bit too young to see Rent by most people's estimation. Um, but <laughs> – for some reason, my mother, because moms know everything, thought that it was something that I needed to see. She probably read about it in like Time and was like, yeah, that. And so I went and I sat in the balcony. And growing up, I loved theater and I loved musicals. But where were you? I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was I was raised, though, with a lot of like classic rock and, and folk and um, R&B and, and music you know my no one in my house was a theater person they were music people um, so while I would go and like see little shows at like the high school and stuff I was like oh that's cute but it didn't really connect with the things that 
I loved about music at the time and just nothing really like hit me in the soul the way that I needed to then like decide I wanted to like be an actor be in theater for a living but rent was the thing it was like uh this you know this this one piece that that gathered so many things that I loved and it showed me communities on stage that like I didn't know that I needed to see I wouldn't know for like another 10 years that I needed to see them but it was my okay. first introduction to sort of all of the queerness that I needed um the non-binary like uh yeah everything that I would grow up to really value was like all there in front of me at like probably 11 or 12 I was like <laughs> just hit in the face with this thing so then I became completely obsessed cast album like rent bible and um and my extended family was in New York so anytime I would come to New York I would see rent and one other show so I saw rent probably like 30 times over the years oh my god yeah. crazy that's a lot of rent to absorb um I had to, uh, Maybe the opposite in some ways experience because it was a little bit – I grew up in a conservative area and it was a little more taboo where I grew up. It wasn't something – it was something that you got to experience if if you proved yourself to be adult enough to experience it, I guess, in some way. But it was like rampant through my children's theater. It was like that, – that album was just like getting passed around like wildfire and um, everyone was singing the songs and of course like – I think I was 13 when I really became aware of it. And of course, like, you know, Seasons of Love was every graduation song. It was every cast party, tearful sing along. It was, you know, it was like the anthem of every theater person. But I didn't see it in New York until uh, quite a few years later when I moved to New York for school. Um, And we won the lotto and got to see it. I sat in the front row. And, um, yeah, and that was the first time getting to experience it. But, yeah, it was definitely like, I can't I can't believe what they're saying. I, I never, you know, musicals are, like, happy and tap dancing. And everything, everyone's nice and says nice things to each other. So it was, like, my first introduction to actually trying to say something huh. um, interesting with a musical. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, so I got started in theater, like, super late. So it was at the end of my high school, my time in high school, and everyone was talking about rent. And, like, I'm so ashamed of this now. I, like, fully admit it. But I was, like, trying to, I think, like, like fight the trend. And so I was, like, <laughs> I'm not a big rent fan at all. Like, I'm not, I, I don't like rent. And then as I got into college, like, obviously studying theater, like, I was, like, okay, I actually, this is really good. And so uh, so I, I, fell, I fell madly in love with it in college. Um, and then... My relationship with Jonathan, like, deepened on, on a really, like, really personal, intense way when I was doing Tick, Tick, Boom, um, the, this most recent revival off-Broadway. And, um, you know, I was so familiar with with Rent, with that work of art. And I then, through my research of Jonathan and, and, and meeting his closest friends um, – I like got to know him as a person and as an artist and I was just so like uh it, it was like um he's like all of us you know like the, the there's this like there was this um this like drive and this passion um and also this like loyalty to his friends and 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 this like family thing that like we all have and so it was um getting to know him in like a very personal way like that um it's like an honor that 
that I get to be a part of this project. Daphne, when you met Jonathan, were you aware of his other work or was the first music of his that you heard music from Rent? Um, <clears throat> music from Rent was, I think, the first stuff that I heard. And then I heard, you know, stuff from Floyd Collins and um, <sighs> J.B. Morgan Saves the World. He was doing other other musicals um, before Rent. Um, yeah, so, and then he was writing songs like, there's always that selfish part of me that wanted to write songs with him, you mm-hmm. know, I had, I'd sung in a girl group, so, you know, it was, it's interesting hearing all of our different experiences with, with musical theater, you know, I always say like, you know, musical theater wasn't my thing, it was more music, um, <clears throat> but the mu- the musical theater that did attract me was, Stuff like, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar or Hair or Tommy. I remember hearing The Who, not the musical Tommy, but The Who's Tommy. To me, that was like that was like a rock opera. And that was a story being told, and they were very dark. And, you know, when you're so young, you don't realize how, quote, unquote, dark something is. It just seems like drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't know what I'm saying. I'm saying that I wanted to write music with Jonathan. There was a lot of other stuff. But Rent was like the thing that um, I was very aware that, like, I didn't really love musical theater, but I loved what that was. And it it spoke to me and, like, quote, unquote, my tribe you know it really defined what a tribe was for me that it didn't have to do with what you looked like it was like who you are in your soul and that it really attracted you know now with the internet and you know social media we can find our tribe we don't have to fly there or walk there or take a train so Mm -hmm. this this did that for me and so I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say that I, I feel like I should share my own personal introduction to Jonathan's story, too, which is that, you know, I was in my high school drama club and I did love kind of classic, classic musical theater. And I just remember that, like, the cool girls in the drama club were always going, hey, mister, she's my sister to each other. <laughs> and I was like, what are they talking about? Like, this is some kind of inside joke. <laughs> so I, like, I finally figured out that it was from Rent. And I I don't remember how I very quickly became a fan, but I'm from Connecticut, um, outside Hartford, and the Hartford Current used to have kind of a back page of its art section that was all written by high school students, and it was like reviews of CDs, which existed back then. Mm-hmm. And um, and I did, <laughs> and I I knew that Rent was coming to Hartford uh, to play the Bushnell, the big theater there, and I like any. Um, Rent fan worth their salt. I decided that I was the only person who was capable of writing about rent and that nobody else could do it. Uh, so I remember writing to the editor and saying, like, rent is coming and you need to cover it. And I'm the only person who can write about it. And uh, in a very strange full circle moment, I think that's like the first writing assignment that I, I like really had, like a real professional writing assignment. I love that. So yeah, so that's my my scary. life, my life really began with rent in terms of uh, the journalistic world at least see i feel like i need to say this in on behalf of having known jonathan that um 
I'm in complete denial about how how old I am. <laughs> you know? And like Me too. You know, and, and so are we I, I you know, you get to a point where you like lie and you tell the truth, you lie, uh, you're proud of it. But like the awareness of the fact that, you know, you were born in nineteen eighty two. You know, that was like really you know, you're my niece's age. Like, you could, I could have arguably given birth to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, in, you know, she's Juliet, you know, like, you know, I, anyway, that's not the point. The point is, <laughs> let's just totally digress. No, just hearing the, okay, I was talking about Jonathan and to like represent that he never got. He never got to experience how he impacted mm-hmm. the world, um, like the world. You know, he was a dude who were converse, high tops that were really stinky. And there was a Gumby on his, you know, dashboard, like on his rusty car that needed gas. Do you know mm-hmm. yeah. that like he never got to eat at Sardi's like and we you know, everybody here is like Sardi's, you know, fuck Sardi's, you know, <laughs> but but he never he never had the chance to see how he impacted the world so palpably, so vi- viscerally. Um, and I get to do that. I remember that was part of like the huge mourning process that like when we cried and we didn't know what we were crying about, you know, mm-hmm. that was what it was. It was like, uh, um, so as, as effed up as that feels, like that's like the most beautiful thing that he has done. He's changed people's lives like in very, very palpable ways and I knew it you know but like I didn't know anything you know I didn't know anything so anyway um, you know and his parents are still around and his sister of course his Mm -hmm. nephews um, that like have that blood DNA but you know more than that like we have like the real Jonathan Jean Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like anyone who wins a grant Anyone who like heard the word, no matter where they come from, what, the, who they, you know, what color, what their favorite color is, doesn't matter. Um, it's nice. Well, I've I've always wondered what you know you and the other cast members who are still around. You're like his living legacy, basically, and that's not necessarily what you sign on for when you <laughs> do no. a musical. And I, I, as much as you love him, and as much as this is a, I, I assume, kind of a good part of your life, that has to be have been an interesting thing to absorb and kind of deal with as the years have gone by. Yeah, it's like it's like cicadas. You know, like you have to go underground and just like stop. You know, I thought I'd never, I'm never ever going to sing that song again or do that song. Like, okay, I'll show up, but not this way or under conditions or like just no. I used to call it like the mob, you know, they just keep crawling back. (laughs) But, um,. I like the cicadas idea. It is like. Emerge every so often. You know, it's like we we talk so much about privilege these days and what's a privilege. Like, this is our privilege. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, your privilege is like it weighs on you like too fucking bad, mm-hmm. you know? 
that's, that's, this Just is true. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like we've kind of touched on a bunch of things as you've talked about how you discovered Jonathan's music, but it's hard for me to put a finger on what it is about it precisely that just makes it something that connects with young people so much and and continues to over 20 years later um, after Rent. And, you know, some of it is, I think, as you said, Andy, that it like made you realize that rock and pop could be a part of uh, musical theater in a natural way. And some of it is just what you connect with in the message. And I think, too, it's just the lyrics like, hey, mister, she's my sister that are easy to memorize and keep in your head. Um, but for each of you, I mean, what what is the hook into Jonathan's music for you that makes it so special? I probably w- would piggyback on what Krista said. Like, it, it f- really feels like he wrote like protest anthems Mm -hmm. and there are quite a few of those in the Jonathan Larson project um and the uh, specifically like I'll never forget we were doing Tick Tick Boom um it was the day after the election in 2016 Mm. um it was 11-9 and we were uh all in uh really terrible moods and we did not want to come to work that day and um the audience felt really um down and sad as well and just the overall vibe in the in the theater was was kind of somber and we got to the end of the show and we sang louder than words uh it hit us like a ton of bricks like the the words that we were singing um and and the meaning they had on that day and we you know, finished the show and and met some audience members, and they were all like, "I didn't know I really, but I I really needed to see this today." You know, all mm-hmm. these years later, his work is is it it's like providing like comfort and and also charging people up. Like it it it, it is so effective in so many ways. Um, this is making me wonder, like, why there hasn't been another Jonathan Larson show on Broadway besides Rent. I mean, it seems like we could maybe use one. Just a thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're sadly there's very few of them that we yeah. were lucky to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Tixie Boom had like an amazing run off Broadway and has a great album, and then there's Superbia out there, which is in some stage of completion, from what I understand. But for some reason, we've never gotten to see it. Um, but I think Jen's. Jennifer Tepper, I'm talking about her hope with this collection of songs is that maybe this can become a new sort of new Jonathan Larson show, like a song cycle that he never got to put together that, you know, she's taken up the mantle and put together for him. Um, So maybe we have another one now, which would be really incredible. Have I realized I don't know, have the three of you ever been in a Rent production or been able to sing anything rent related <laughs> i did a production of rent in salt lake city it was right after the uh the like regional rights had become available um so i felt very lucky it was like right at the beginning of people being allowed to do rent um and uh karen Eisenberg was the director who knew jonathan and had gone to his peasant feasts and <laughs> she on the first day of rehearsal so already i'm freaking out right because it's my <laughs> dream role I'm in Salt Lake City, which is gorgeous. Um, and so I'm nervous, weirdly, because I just like have imagined what I would do with this part since mm-hmm. like I can remember. And which part were you playing? I was Mark. Okay. I was Mark. And um, she gathered us all around and told us a story about how uh, she had gone to one of Jonathan's famous peasant feasts, which were these dinners that he would have these sort of potluck dinners for his broke friends, broke artist friends. And she'd been there and he had said, hey, Karen, um, 
I have this I have this thing, I have this script. Would you take a look at it? Like I just want to get some like eyes on it and know what people think. And so he gave her a script in an envelope and at this point she pulls out the envelope with his handwriting on it wow. and a cassette and she like pulls out the cassette and on the front in his handwriting it says rent. <laughs> And she mm. made this available for us to read in the room, and it's a very early draft. It opens with Santa Fe, I believe. They're like around, uh, like a, a trash can on fire, like a you know, like a, a fire outside. Um, and the the cassette is all him singing with like a MIDI keyboard, and I burst into tears. And uh, that was like the best way ever to start a production, and it was like one of my favorite things I've ever, ever, ever done. <laughs> that's pretty amazing I was going to say and then did everyone start weeping at the same time yes naturally <laughs> Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information including boxed warning visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Um, what about for the two of you? Not been, I've not been fortunate enough to, to do rent, uh, unfortunately. I would love to. Someone, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe that ship has sailed for, for me. Um, but I did audition for to be the swing in the Broadway production. You're kidding. Yeah. When I first came to New York, they were, you know, it was like, it's one of those shows, like Spring Awakening was too, where it's like, we need young, we need new, we need, before YouTube, where you could be like, who's the cool singer-songwriter? People were scouring, and Telsey was looking everywhere for every age and auditions on the weekends and stuff. It was like, we have to keep this show full of energy and newness and youth and, you know. So, yeah, and I auditioned to play Maureen Mimi cover, probably like one of the stripper drags. There's, you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, but no, I didn't get it. Um, I, remem- I remember I messed yeah. up one of the lyrics, no. and I was like, how... Could I mess up? What lyric was lyrics? it? Which one? It was, um, it was in Take Me or Leave Me. It was, um, I, I, I if I could remember right now, I would remember it. <laughs> anyway, I've never played any, anything Jonathan Larson. This is my first time singing any Jonathan Larson songs. So for the Jonathan Larson project, um, I would love to hear a little bit about maybe one song each of you is singing and a little bit about it that, um, people who have also never heard anything other than Rent might be interested to know. Well, I think Jen kind of put it in a way she told me this on my first rehearsal was like we each have a character we each have a track of songs that sort of speak to one aspect of what he was writing about so mm. um, some people have like the broke writer track some people have this social justice track some people have you know the his musical more musical theater stuff I have his pop songs so I have some of the most deliciously 90s pop songs you've ever heard <laughs> yeah I'm pretty excited um so my stuff is all like it's either kind of like the pop rock um a little bit spoken word I have a rap I have a what? social justice rap what? and I have I know and I have a um like a big old power ballad called Love Heals, which is about like, you know, and he wrote for, I believe it was an AIDS uh, charity benefit 
like night. So it's one of those rousing, like, you know, um, big numbers. So yeah, it's a very, it's stuff that I've never heard of his. It's, it's less narrative and more, you know, hooks, lots of hooks and lots of, so it's been interesting to, to, to learn all that. Um, I have like the grunge track, I would say like the Mm -hmm. kind of like Rocky down and dirty grunge track. And, um, one of the songs I have that I'm really psyched about is this song called Valentine's Day. Do you know this song? <laughs> yes, I do. It was in Rent very briefly, apparently, at some stage of development. Beat me till I'm black and blue and uh-huh, gray. That's the one. And um, it's, yeah, it's, he wrote it uh, for a review at his college called Prostate of the Union, which was about the struggle. <laughs> I swear to God, that's wow. true. That's real. Um, about the struggles uh, of living in, like, Reagan's New York. <clears throat> and the character described in this song is uh is sort of like a, a proto Mimi. It's like a, a girl who, you know, gets swept off the street by a charming guy and then enters into this abusive relationship and then winds up um you know, that she can't she she can't accept like real love. Um so it's it's really sad. Um but what I love about it is that it does what like what musical theater ought to do really well and that I think Jonathan Larson really understood which going back to your earlier question about like why young people connect with it I think Mm -hmm. it's this that like in the golden age of musicals uh, you were seduced by a melody a hook that was indistinguishable from what you might hear on the radio like some enchanted evening was playing at the theater you'd go home it was playing on the radio so you'd be seduced into listening to this story and then you get like a really a real story like South Pacific is about some really um, political things Uh, And so while the story of this song is like incredibly sad and incredibly evocative of a time and a place, uh, the hook is like sick without (laughs) being too flip about it. But it's like a great if you just kind of tune your ear out and are just like listening to the song, it just sounds like this great like sort of grungy 80s uh, pop song. But then like the lyrics are devastating and like he's so good at that. So I love it. Very cool. What what will you be singing? I um. I don't have a track. Um, I might be singing to a track. No, no, I'm not, I'm not singing to a track. I, um, I'm singing a song that makes me think of Tears for Fears. I think it's a song that I'm, clearly no one's ever sung before. Not clearly, but supposedly. Um, and it reminds me of... You know, part of his social activism was his just open-heartedness, his soft-bellied love of love, Um, just a sort of innocent, shameless uh, song about love, you know, and it's really sweet because... uh, yeah, it makes me think of like how John Lennon could. Uh, it's kind of like I, it makes me think about John Lennon and his Imagine album. Actually, it makes me think of Tears for Fears in style, but it's sort of a surprise. It's mm-hmm. an early, early song that he wrote, and um, you know how they say when you don't know how to write, just write about yourself and what you know. So it feels very open, basic. I love it. I can't wait to hear you do it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I am so uh, my track is like um, 
like environmental activist track. The, my favorite. Uh, it's, it's, it's all very it's, specific. It's it's really it's <laughs> like really thrilling. And my favorite one that I get to do is a song he wrote called Iron Mike. And it's a song about the Exxon Valdez oil spill. So it's like, whoa, yeah, yeah. And so, and it's what I love about it is it, it, it's like it has this very calm melody, and the 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 the, the, the music is um, it's really soft and like it feels like a lullaby, but the juxtaposition juxtaposition of like the lyrics of it is like you know it starts off with like uh, the captain of the ship like falling asleep, and then as the song progresses, you know, as you get to the end, there's just like really stark imagery of like like the aquatic life just like you know uh suffocating on oil and 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 um mm. the denial of what had happened and the cover up and uh and the like the the market left on the environment uh and so it's uh it's again like a, it feels like a like a bit of a protest anthem like um in in this really like disarming way it's like uh yeah protest anthem about an oil spill that's also a lullaby is wow. sounds like kind of amazing <laughs> um i mean it's like it's incredible to hear about the sort of like wide swath of just stuff that he was encompassing in his music mm. um and just makes you think kind of of how much more he could have done mm-hmm. it, it's i mean it sounds like he could have been a, a crazy prolific composer um, so were you all involved in getting to kind of pick these songs or was it part of the direction of the show to say you're the environmental they protest man? Yes. <laughs> they were given to us. They were given to us. Yeah. I mean, Jen, I feel like Jen narrowed it down from like, a, like probably what was a list of a hundred songs and then, uh, in the interest of time, like <laughs> narrowed it down to what we have today. And then, you know, she very smartly was trying to, um, create a through line for each of us so that there was a, a journey that the audience can can track uh, mm-hmm. with each of us um but yeah i remember i remember when 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 this was like when she bo- initially like booked the date i was like sitting in her apartment with her and she was like do you want to listen to some of the jonathan larson stuff <laughs> and she like the it literally the day before she was in dc uh like spending hours locked away listening to stuff uh and what she found is gorgeous. Has hearing any of these songs been very surprising to you? Or, I mean, especially to you, Daphne, having known his music for so long, or hearing all of it, does it make you think, oh, yeah, this is this is stuff I knew he had all along, just hearing what I knew of his music already? <clears throat> um, what you said before about... Uh, it just makes you think about how prolific he, he would be. You know, that's kind of what I what I think when I hear recordings of him singing these songs you know 20 plus years ago I think wow my stomach is responding whoa that was amazing <laughs> a tiny person in a loud stomach I swallowed a piece of him Jonathan in your stomach it's Halloween um, I was really surprised by one of my songs has this really like I'm going to say, but I'm going to qualify it in a second, but I'm going to say <laughs> almost cliche sounding arpeggiation in the piano. I say this because it's, when it starts, it sounds like that musical theater, that contemporary musical theater ballad. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, oh, wow, he was doing that thing that, like, so many young composers do, um, of, like, that arpeggiation and the melody. And then you realize the song was written in 1982, and that <laughs> contemporary musical theater arpeggiation didn't exist. Back. Like, he yeah. invented it. He yes. was the pioneer. It wasn't cliche at all. <laughs> it was actually, like really groundbreaking stuff and you know and then his voice as a writer informed all those writers that do that thing now yeah so like you're gonna hear this one song start and you're gonna say like oh i've sort of heard a ballad like this before but it was it's one of the earliest songs we have in the show it was written in 1982 so it's just like amazing what he was tapped into without even knowing it and it just makes me think about like of course he would have been prolific that's evidenced by like how much material we still have we're still discovering in the short time that he was alive um but it makes me think about what the content of that material that doesn't exist might be. Like, what would he be writing? What would it sound like? What technologies would he be using in musical theater that we can't even conceive of? What sounds, what, you know, what would he be having that piano line do? It's really amazing. Yeah, I was going to say now everybody else is copying him and that's why it sounds like that. <laughs> the, uh, uh, there, there was, um, there, so there's a song called Green Street that we do and, uh, and in the demo recording, like towards the end, he kind of trails off and talks about like how he loves to laugh. And he, he he's just like he's genuinely like like belly laughing in this recording. And I, you know, there he's he he's he had written so, so many like uh, really powerful songs that that kind of um, encapture the struggle of an artist or humans or people who are underrepresented and. And it was like very nice to hear uh, a recording of him uh, just having like a great time and loving life. And it was something that I, you know, we've all heard stories, and we, we you know, you, you 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 spoke of his love of love. Um, but it was like really, it was like very nice and heartwarming to hear this this one moment. And so Nick Blameyer gets to kind of it, what's interesting is that a couple of these songs <clears throat> are just being like kind of. Um, uh, uh, notated uh, from from demo recordings. So, like you know, there's I'm sure there's not a, a lyric sheet where he talks about um, uh, his love of laughing. That was just something off the <laughs> cuff, and it's made it into our show. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that that was that was a, a very pleasant surprise in in kind of unlocking some of these songs. I feel like with someone like Jonathan, who's known for this, like, masterwork, it could be tempting to think of him as, like, the serious young man. Mm -hmm. And from everything mm -hmm. I've heard about him, that really was not the case. Yeah. It sounds like he was a, a delight yeah. of a human being. <laughs> well, part of the reason I was excited to have you four here in particular is I think that you have all been in some of the most exciting new musicals of the past decade or so probably more than a decade because i have no concept of time anymore <laughs> um <laughs> and and i was curious to hear you know maybe not exactly in musical style but are there ways in which you see jonathan's influence in the shows that you've done or see ways that he kind of gave composers permission to do certain things that maybe they they wouldn't have before he came along absolutely um not that i was in a whole ton of musicals before Rent at all um, but <clears throat> from from my experience just the 
quote-unquote non-linearness. I remember it was a big quandary whether, you know, the first act was one day and the second act was one year, and that, how does that work, and that doesn't work, and it shouldn't. How do you go from this place to that place and just jump cut? And, mm-hmm. and, um, and I think now those aren't really big issues mm-hmm. because we just go with it, and I really think that Jonathan had a lot to do with that. Also, like, mixing styles in a show mm-hmm. so that you can go from... It's been my experience specifically. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing in the show you were just in, Miss You Like Hell, yeah. which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, really stylistically cornucopia sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I've spoken a bit already about like the ways I think that he's influenced writers. Um, but I think that the success of Rent really in- influenced, excuse me, producers into thinking about what kinds of shows can be successful, what kinds of shows people want to see, what shows can talk about. You know, did we have, were we addressing issues like that on Broadway um, for, you know, decades, like before? Not really. Like, but it just goes to show that any show in any genre, if it has something to say and says it well, it can find an audience and be successful. I'm sure people thought that they were mad, like thinking to take it to Broadway. I'm sure there were these conversations when it was going to move, like, oh, that'll run a little while and then the fad will wear off. And, you know, that obviously has not happened. And I think that it changed the landscape of Broadway, not just in the writing, but in the actual producing, like what gets made and what what kinds of projects producers look out for, um, which I feel really grateful for to like be in the post-rent generation yeah. mm-hmm. like not only the work that i've gotten to be a part of but the work that i've gotten to see um has I, I can't imagine like what it would have been like you know you look at not to throw too much shade but you look at the shows that were going on beforehand and what was a hit back then mm-hmm. really not my taste to be honest mm-hmm. um i know a lot of people love shows like that but i'm glad that there's room for both now totally and it speaks to a lot of the political climate that was around between hair and rent and the things the tastes that were coming up in who was in charge in the Reagan era of sort of wholesomeness and to be able to kind of bust through that with something and people to embrace it I think is was really like Andy was saying really indicative of like what people were yearning for the reality of this thing that was going on that no one was talking about and musicals the point of them is to heighten is that you can't speak anymore. So you sing and it's like, mm-hmm. we aren't able to talk. Let's yell. Let's sing. Mm-hmm. Let's be loud and let's make noise. And I think that was a big, um, a big triumph for that. And for shows following that, you know, that you could, you could stomp your feet a little bit and, um, people would listen. And, um, what I was, what I was sort of piggybacking on that, that like, I think another, big impact that rent had was that jonathan larson was so young listening being taking a risk on a young new composer who was doing new things um you know i don't think that we have sort of the lin manuels of the world or the young kind of the Pesic and pauls if it's not like people producers people putting their trust in people that say, I have a vision, just stick with me and we're, we're going to get there. Um, so I always admired that, that you can, um, you can have something to say at, an, at a young age and people will listen. That's a really good point. Yeah. You like re- really like redefine the formula and like, uh, it, and as a result was this trailblazer that 
um, changed the game. And like, so, so I, I mean, I see, I see so much of him in every musical theater writer mm-hmm. uh, today. Uh, going back to what you were saying about uh, the the cliche musical theater writing, mm-hmm. like it's like he he <laughs> he's become the cliche. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, they they've become he he created and they've become the cliche. But like, um, but he uh, no, he's he has like, you know, I I as a as as, as a mixed race musical theater actor, you know, when I was growing up in Florida when I was in college in Florida, like there weren't performance opportunities for me. Like everyone was doing Oklahoma and Hello Dolly. And there's, I would stick out like a sore thumb. So I never got summer jobs ever. And I moved to New York and I, you know, I really truly uh, owe so much gratitude to, to, to him and to rent because without that, I, I just don't think that, um, uh, performers like myself would have the opportunities that they have. Um, where uh where where we're telling we're telling stories about people's lives and then and uh and and that includes all people um so yeah so he's yeah he's changed the game he changed the game so much it's a, it's a it's a different world that that we function in um and a different art form and uh he changed it for the better I mean, that's such a good point because I think that I feel like one of the real triumphs of Rent is that it is a incredibly diverse cast that mm-hmm. looks the way the world looks, mm-hmm. and yet it's beside the point. It's not the first thing you think of no. when you're watching. It's like only <clears throat> afterwards you're like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. Well, you know, you're not aware of the fact that it's a musical theater piece about all marginalized people mm-hmm. they are all marginalized and like if you if you say hey you know i have this idea let's like put all our money into this like new idea let's like break let's let's think of about marginalized people <laughs> it's, like, it's like um well, I, you know like the pen the check it, they go away uh, they, yeah. the pen and the check go away so so yeah yeah, he even talks about about privilege in Rent, like subtly. Like I'm thinking about, um, and not so subtly, n- and not so subtly. But I'm thinking about the moment when Mark is saying, like, perhaps it's because I'm the one of us to survive, and Roger says, "Poor baby," like this, the the one like straight white guy who's gonna get out of this unscathed is saying, like, "Poor me," somehow. And yeah. but he's the witness. Amazing. Yeah, do you know? Yeah. He yeah. becomes the witness and but the one really, who tells the story. Yeah, like everyone is there. Yeah. All these conversations what? that we're having now, I think he the, was having. First, or first in theater, as far as I know. I'm going to cry. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the performances haven't even started yet, but I feel like hopefully this will have a life beyond the shows that you're doing at 54 Below. Um, do you guys see there being a future for this or ways that it could, you know, possibly evolve and keep going? Certainly, yeah. I mean, I, I Jen Tepper, she's a little genius. She's got some tricks up her sleeve, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do, I, you know... Uh, listening to these guys sing the music it's yeah it's going to be like it's such a great show and such a wonderful celebration of jonathan's like work and legacy and um and so yeah no i don't think that that post october 15th uh uh it'll be the last of the jonathan larson project I hope not, but I'm really excited to see it. And uh, thanks for stopping by the tiny billboard library today. <laughs> thanks for having us. <laughs> to being an us for once instead of a them.
The Jonathan Larson Project will be going on October 9th through 14th at 54 Below. I would highly recommend checking into the 54 Below website because some of those days have more than one show per day. There are different special guests on different days. Uh, so there's a lot to check into there. And 54 is a fantastic kind of cabaret venue in New York. If you're a fan of the podcast, as always, please subscribe and give me lots of nice stars and reviews on iTunes can also be found on your streaming platform of choice, including Spotify, Google Play, and hope you'll be back next week. Blah, 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 blah.